We are at Site 2, which is the Grand Avenue site. Right next to the river, we found Grand Paint and Hardware Store. Going inside, we found the owner, Ray Pagliara. Ray is a friend of the environment. He was always interested in sustainability and conservation. He chose not to get a license in high school because it was better for the environment to ride a bike. Ray has always had a humanitarian focus in his life. He worked for a nonprofit in Nicaragua. He was involved with Sister City Project, matching New Haven with Leon, Nicaragua. He makes biodiesel in the back of the store for his trucks to use. Since he has been there since 1987, he talked to us about the site. This site here that we built our building, we're Grand Design, and we've put our building on the site that was Triangle Pacific's building. This, they had had their building here for, I think, 20 years or more, and it burned down, and then we rebuilt a new building on the same foundation. Before that, in the same area, on various foundations that are out there have been different lumber companies. There was Batter Lumber, I believe, before that, and then there was Miner, um, Sash and Door, and there was some other lumber company also, I believe. So this has been a site for um, lumber or home improvement places for since at least the 1920s. Interesting, the soil in this area, when they, um, the people that did the environmental study said the soil is made up of um, a type of sandstone that dates back um, about 250 million years ago, so down back to the Mesozoic time. Um, and that's still actually, you can see that, you can see some of the big reddish sandstone rocks across the way on the other side of the river. We were surprised to learn what an interesting geological site it was. Ray decided to take us outside to show us around. All the grasses here have now been cut. They get cut for the springtime, so you'll see that they're starting to, you know, we start to cut them all back. And there's still a bunch, you know, that aren't cut down yet, but they'll be cut back for the spring. And those over there actually are, if you look at them, and I don't know if you can tell from the remnants of what's there, but those are butterfly bushes. So in the summer, we actually have a lot of butterflies that come through here. So right, right here you can see the remnants of a foundation that goes along and turns there and it it's actually steps down, but this part is the part that's left exposed. And this is quite a large foundation. It go, you know, if you look at it, it's a couple feet at least wide. And now over there, where the sidewalk is, is where we hit a large um, wall basically that went down. We couldn't go under it. It went down. They kept digging to try and go underneath it and it went down something like 15 feet so we ended up having to go through it. And that's where we ended up having to, they came in with a backhoe with a jackhammer and the first one broke. They came in with a larger backhoe with a jackhammer on it and the second one actually broke on the poor guy that was doing it. He finally came in with a third one and this was a link belt, one of the giant um, ones that it was much much larger, one of the tractor mounted ones. And that one, with that one, he was finally able to make it through, to make a hole through the wall with the pneumatic hammer that was attached to it. So it, it was a project that he thought would take one day, and it actually ended up taking him five days because of the problems that he encountered. Over here, we have all different types of grasses, which um, help us. You don't have to fertilize them. You don't have to water these. These. Um, certainly are very good for stabilizing the soil. Their roots are exceptionally deep in these. They go very, unlike regular grass, which just goes down a little bit, these have 
very, very deep root systems. So that, and because of their deep root systems, they don't need to be watered. We actually have seen rabbits here also, which is interesting because I don't know how they, you know, it's a, they must go around, we've seen them running around through here, so they'll see rabbits. We've certainly birds come and stay, you know, we'll see them in here. They took us into the back of the store to show us the biodiesel setup. But I want to introduce you. Um, this is Johnny, and he works here. Johnny actually repairs windows and screens and does other things. He also wanted to learn, he was interested in how we make biodiesel, and he learned how to do it. We take old oil like this, we take old oil from restaurants that we collect, and you can see this comes from, these are, this is some oil we picked up. And this is the oil, like when you go to a restaurant and you get French fries, this is what's left over because they fry it in oil, but after a while they have to change it and they have to throw it away. So we take that, this oil that's kind of old and smelly. Um, you know, if you open these up, you can see it's not very attractive. So Johnny takes all this oil and he, he puts it up there into that. First, we store it up there and then it goes into the second container to measure it because we have to measure how much we have. And he also has to test it. Johnny tests it to see how acid it is, like, like vinegary. And that tells him how much chemical he has to add. And then in, in this stuff here is where he puts the oil to convert it. And when we're done, you know what? We'll show you what it looks like. If, so this is biodiesel that's come off of that. And if you look at it, it's actually very nice. It's got some glycerin in the bottom, which is why it looks brown, but it's a nice, clean liquid. Biodiesel, um, there's some right there, nice and washed. That's all washed and ready to go. It, biodiesel is a replacement for any place you'd use regular diesel. The nice thing about this is that we're recycling used oil. It's putting out less greenhouse gases because this, when you, well, when we burn this, the same plants that grow to make it are taking the carbon back out of the atmosphere and then when we burn it, it goes back in. So we're using, we're running this now on, essentially when we're doing this, we're using current sunlight. When you burn old oil that's in the brown, in the, in the ground when you burn diesel or, or gasoline to heat your home, you're burning stored oil or stored sunlight that's been stored for millions of years. This is, this is um, current sunlight that we're using when you think of it that way. So it puts out less greenhouse gases. And it can be, it's interchangeable. The other thing though that's nice is that if your school bus runs on diesel, it puts out lots of particulate matter, it puts out lots of polycyclic hydrocarbons, it puts out lots of things that aren't actually very good for you. Biodiesel puts out less of all of those. It puts out significantly less particulate matter. This also is not very toxic. Its toxicity is the same roughly as table salt. If you spill this on the ground, it'll break down naturally. It's, an, it's a natural product. And instead of contaminating the ground, this will just break down. Um, it's also not as flammable. As we look down the river, Busy with boats and other activity, we wondered about the lifeless empty building known as the English Station. Uh, my name is Mr. Del Monte and this is Mr. Wilson. Good morning. We are with the United Illuminating Company and your teacher asked us to come down here and talk a little bit about English Station, um, a powerhouse that is located probably about maybe four blocks from here. Well, English Station ran between 1929 and 1991 when it closed. 
The water comes through these, uh, these tubes here, which they call a, a condenser. And you have hot steam that comes down through the condenser that cools the uh, water off and puts it back out into the harbor. Well, uh, we ran in three shifts, days, afternoons, and midnights. Uh, the plant was manned 24-7, uh, holidays, weekends, uh, and the facility, we had a lot of maintenance people that keep the place running, and then you had like three different departments. You had the, um, the maintenance department that fixed anything that broke down. You had the electrical department, which um, if there was anything that went wrong electrically with the uh, plant, uh, they would fix. And then you had the operation department, which was the department that I was in. And we actually put the unit online. And when I say online, uh, we had a certain scale you had to go by uh, to bring the boiler up to speed so we can produce electricity. When English Station was first commissioned, um, it basically supplied this area and over to, you know where the um, Eli Whitney Museum is? Okay, we have, a, we have a facility there to that area, that end of Hamden, and it also went over to um, West Haven, over by the beach, and, and covered that, that area there. Part of the reasoning for putting, putting the plant where it was is because it was an island and like Mr. Wilson explained, it made it easy because you need water for a powerhouse. The reason English Station is no longer a functioning power plant is because technology and their, the newer powerhouses require less work to run, they're more efficient and it takes a smaller size building to create the same amount of electricity that English Station did. We collected data about the plants and animals that live here. Common yellow mold. Its leaves have been used as a wrapper for keeping fruit from spoiling, bandages for colonial soldiers, and moccasin padding for Native Americans. What is most fascinating about the common mullen is its desire to live. In 1879, Professor William Beale, a botanist at the University of Michigan, began an experiment that continues to this date. The professor collected seeds of 23 common weeds and placed them in jars, which he then buried for many years. The jars are dug up every 20 years to see if they survived. The most recent set of jars was dug up in 1999. Most of the seedlings that emerged after 120 years buried in the cold Michigan soil were mullein. These determined seeds remained in a state of suspended animation for more than a century, awaiting their day in the sun. Curly duck. It is native to Eurasia and was first observed in the United States during the 18th century. Habitats include weedy meadows, areas prone to occasional flooding, roadside banks and gravelly paths along railroads. In areas that have recently been dug up, curly dock is the first thing to grow. Thistle. The prickly purple thistle is the national emblem of Scotland. 
The plant, which grows to a height of five feet, has no enemies because of vicious spines that cover it like armor plating. There are many different stories of how the thistle became Scotland's symbol, but most point to the events surrounding the Battle of Largs in 1263. The Norsemen tried to surprise the Scots with a night attack. They removed their footwear for a silent approach, but found themselves on ground covered with thistle. It is said their leader stepped on thistle and cried out. His shout warned Scots, thus saving Scotland. Petros, this plant was brought from Malaysia in 1872. It escaped from early gardens to invade the beach. It actually plays an important role in preventing erosion on dunes and the sides of rivers. When the flowers finish blooming, rose hips are formed. These are very high in vitamin C and vitamin A. If you make rose hip jelly, it is delicious and nutritious. Common wintercress. These beautiful yellow flowers are the first bright color we get every spring. Also known as yellow rockets, they are in the mustard family. Jewelweed. This plant has little orange trumpets for flowers. In the fall, jewelweed develops seeds that have a unique design. They puff up with inner little coiled springs until the whole pot explodes like fireworks to release the new seeds. It is really fun to pick them up and give them a little squeeze. The bright orange sap of the jewelweed stem is widely used as an herbal remedy for poison ivy. Jewelweed is certainly a jewel of a plant. Scuds live in shallow waters. They're called side swimmers or aquatic cell bugs. Scuds are an important source of food for fish. You can see the gills moving in this movie. Ghost shrimp are mostly transparent. You can see the contents of their stomach. They live on algae and they like brackish water with lots of places for them to hide. 